the unseen battles. One of the primary weapons of our enemy is bitterness. Bitterness. It's definitely in his top ten. It's in his top three, and I think it perhaps is one of the number one weapons of Satan. He doesn't have to wait long for there to be an opportunity to throw one of his fiery darts to cause a believer to be bitter. And we need to be careful with bitterness. We need to be aware of the root of bitterness when it's planted. We need to understand the danger of it. And we need to all protect ourselves, guard ourselves and other people from bitterness because bitterness is a very slow process. It's planted and then it grows. And usually everyone that is plagued with bitterness, they're not aware of it. There's a blind spot. It just comes on so gradually and before you know it, bitterness is in charge. And bitterness hinders our belief in Jesus. It helps us, it, it hinders us from growing in faith. And it also hinders us in loving people. Bitterness does. Bitterness harms our families. Bitterness harms our, our congregations. Bitterness harms our relationships. And bitterness is a real problem. So we're going to talk about it today. Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12, and we're going to start with verse 15. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God. And with that, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble. And by it, many become defiled. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled. That no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled. The closest pecan tree to my front yard is my neighbor, and it's a long way from the front of my house. It's probably a good 30 yards, the pecan tree is, from the front of my house. The front of my house in the flower bed is a layer of the thickest weed protector I could find. You know, things aren't supposed to grow through it. It works pretty good a little bit. And then on top of that, I've got at least two inches of river rock. I bought too much, and I wanted to have an inch, but I ended up having two inches of river rock in my flower bed in the front of my house. Now, several weeks ago, I'm walking around our house, going over to see if my aerator on my sewer system is still working. I go listen to it because I don't want the backyard to smell. And I walked around there, and I just happened to look down, and I saw a pecan, and out of that pecan was about a six-inch tree. I looked at that pecan. How in the world did that pecan get there? It was, a, it was a big old pecan, just a regular pecan. And it's in the corner between the slab and the rock of, of my house. How did that get there? And so I start looking at it, and I'm thinking, 
I guess in one of the windstorms or something, that pecan tree, maybe it was up high in the pecan tree next door, and the wind grabbed it and threw it over to my roof, and it landed on this side of the pitch of the roof and fell down, and somehow or another, that pecan ended up right there at the, right there beside my house foundation, in the rock. And I looked at it, and I thought, do I want that pecan tree to grow there? The answer was no. I do not want that pecan tree to grow there. So I got down, and, and I said, well, that, that really is an amazing thing. And I looked at it. I should have took a picture of it. I said, that's really amazing. That pecan cracked, and out of that thing, it sprouted a root. And that thing navigated its way through those rocks through that black paper that's supposed to stop that stuff, I see, and, and somehow or another made its way into the dirt, and it started to grow. That's an amazing thing. And I stood there, and I went, God, that's an amazing thing you've done, that you caused it to happen. And I'm, I'm just amazed by things like that, right? Well, I reached down, and, and I said, I, I had thought that I might transplant it to the backyard, but as I was pulling it up slowly, because I might transplant it, I, I, I never did that because I got thinking, I don't want that pecan tree in the backyard. It'll make problems in the front of my house. I mean, theoretically, if that thing would have grew, right, it, it would have cracked my house. It would have been an eyesore right there where it was. But anyway, I was amazed when I pulled that root up. That root made like a, a parallel or a horizontal root to get around some rocks and then it pitch itself down so it comes out of the pecan moves around it, it goes lateral for a little while and then it found its way through cracks in those rocks and then it came back towards the rocks when it got into some ground that's an amazing piece of work there bitterness is like that bitterness shows up where you least expect it Bitterness can grow through rocks and through that black paper. No water. I didn't water them rocks. We don't water the rocks. That, that pecan has had no water. How did that happen? There's been enough, there hadn't been enough rain to keep that pecan tree alive and to make it grow. And yet, there it was. Now it says, let no Root of bitterness spring up. Signs you might be bitter. Now, inside of you, you have a running dialogue. They call it the inner dialogue that you have, or inner monologue, some people call it. If you have a negative dialogue happening inside your mind, there's a very good chance you may be bitter. If you have imaginary conversations about what you're going to do and how you're going to do it to hurt someone else, you're most likely bitter. Matter of fact, you are bitter. If you replay conversations or you replay experiences over and over and over in your head, there's bitterness in that inner dialogue. That inner dialogue 
you see a car that reminds you of the car they drive, the inner dialogue starts. Hope they wreck. Hope they're having a bad day. You allow other people's opinions to control you. There's a good chance you're bitter. You feel the need to let someone know what so-and-so said or so-and-so did almost right away. If something happens and you automatically get on the phone and tell that person who is best prepared to listen to you. They have listened to you before and they love listening to you when you espouse your bitterness. Probably bitter. You just can't wait to tell someone. If you're around those people that have hurt you, or if you're around those experiences that have hurt you, you have instant negative reactions to whatever the people say or do, or whatever the reactions or the circumstances present to you. You can remember details months or years after the experience. You're keeping a list. You're keeping score. In your inner dialogue, you have this conversation with yourself a lot. If I ever have the opportunity, I'm going to settle him straight or I'm going to settle her straight. I'm going to settle the score. I'm going to let them know. And I'm going to make them hurt. That's bitterness. And Satan wants you to be bitter. He wants you to be bitter. He wants you to grow in bitterness. He, he wants you to always be taking inventory, always be looking at the reasons why you're bitter. And he wants you to stockpile those reasons. And, and Satan wants you and me to explode. Because then he has what he wants from us. In Hebrews chapter 12, it gives us some of the reasons and, and, and some of the solutions to bitterness. Look in Hebrews 12, verse 3. The first one is people. Imagine that. People. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself. Talking about Jesus. Jesus endured hostility from people. Jesus endured hostility from sinners. And he did not grow weary, and he did not get faint-hearted. We can learn from this. People cause us to be bitter. We have to be careful with that. Right now, you're probably thinking about someone. You're looking at them. You don't want to hear what I've just said. You don't want to hear that Jesus persevered through bitter, uh, did not become bitter. Jesus persevered with people who were hard to deal with. They were hostile in reaction. They were totally against him. And he moved on. We need to do that as well with people. Man, you got to do business with the Lord. Let the Holy Spirit work in you. Repent of the sin of bitterness. And, and, and put that out of your mind. Give it to the Lord and walk away from it. 
and even sit down with a piece of paper and, and maybe for the very last time write down that person's name and, and write down what they did and how they did it and how much it hurt you and then let it go because bitterness is worse than whatever they did because bitterness is impacting your whole life. It's causing you a lot of misery. It's causing you to miss out on lots of good love and lots of good relationships if you allow that bitterness to hang on. Another reason why people get bitter is because of the struggle with sin. Look in verse 4. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And so if there is some sin, a struggle with sin, that you've endured for years, and it's caused a lot of conflict in your life, a lot of difficulty in your life, a lot of pain. It's just been an agonizing pain because of that sin, and, and you don't seem to live beyond it. You understand that Jesus died for your sin, and this scripture says you didn't resist to the point of shedding your own blood. Jesus died for that sin, so you can let it go. And you don't have to let that bitterness as the result of your struggle with that sin. And then in verses 5 through 11, maybe one of the top reasons why some believers are bitter is because of the discipline of the Lord in our lives. Look at verse 5. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? Now, whoever the writer is of Hebrews, he's... he's Quoting Proverbs chapter 3. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. Man, why are you so angry? You say to someone. And they answer, because the Lord's disciplining me. I know it. I feel it. I'm struggling with it. Well, why are you so angry? Because he ought not to do that to me. That's the mindset. That's the mindset that begins the bitterness. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves. You see that in verse 5? So if we're bitter because we've been disciplined by the Lord, if the Lord has allowed hardships to happen to us to get our attention, if he's allowed problems to take place in our life to bring us to repentance, to bring us to faith in Christ, we need to celebrate, not grow bitter from that. For it says, the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. There's an awful lot of people that you know, and there's perhaps a lot of people in here have struggled with the same thing. The reason why you're bitter is because you lived life contrary to the ways of the Lord, and the Lord discipline you because he loves you. And now they're bitter. They don't go to church. They're not in fellowship. They're not reading the scripture. They're not part of the movement in the kingdom of God because they're bitter. If the Lord disciplines you, the scripture clearly says he does it because he loves you. And we understand that, that I help us not be bitter. It is for discipline, verse 7 says, that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? 
If you are left without discipline in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of Spirit and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them, but the disciplines us for our good that we may share in His holiness. So it doesn't make sense, does it, to be bitter over the Lord's discipline in your life. Why be bitter about that? He's doing it for our good. He's doing it for our benefit. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. Sure it does. Nobody likes discipline. But later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. So if you're bitter because of the Lord's discipline, realize the error of it. Realize what the Lord did. He did it because He loves you. He did it so that you can endure. He did it so you can be stronger. He did it so you can know things. He did it so you can increase in your belief in Jesus. And He did it so you can learn to love and glorify Him. But a lot of people, I think, it, I just believe everyone probably understands this, a lot of people are, are bitter because of the work of the Lord in their life. And they can't get over it. I think you need to be aware of it. I think you need to recognize it. And I think you need to submit to His discipline. It'll help us be able to, to move beyond bitterness and take it off. Look in verses 12 and 13. Now, we see in verses 1 and 2 the race. The race is taking place. We see that they are to take off every weight and sin which holds them back from being able to run with endurance the race that is set before us. Verse 12 says, when you run the 100 meter dash, no wasted movement. If you're going to run the mile, you need to run correctly. Because if you run like Phoebe in Friends, you're not going to be a good runner. No wasted movement. Your, your feet need to line up. Your, your chin needs to be down where it needs to be. Your shoulders need to be square on the direction you're going. And, and you need to run properly on the balls of your feet and roll and roll. Your knees need to come straight out. You need to extend them as far as you can. And you need to run without any wasted effort. Now, that Osain Bolt from Jamaica... He is genetically gifted. He is unbelievably fast. But if you'll, next time you see a video of him, watch how he runs. There's no wasted effort. So he's taken running lessons. He has practiced running properly, and he's just put it with his great DNA. And that cat can run. If you're out in, the, out in the wilderness with him and a bear comes and it's you and him, you're toast. You're toast. The man can flat run. Look, look what verse 12 says. Therefore, lift your drooping hands and strengthen your knees 
and make straight paths for your feet, so that what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. Run properly. Run properly. Get on up. Buckle your belt. Get a hold of yourself. Mean business. Start again. Get over it. Recognize what's holding you back and keeping you from running the race with all that you have. If it's bitterness, lay it aside so that you can run well. Now, if you're really having struggles with stress and with sleep and with health and things like that, if energy is always someone else's experience and not yours, you, you may need to think about bitterness being the culprit here. Maybe you think about that. Because it says here that you need to get everything lined up properly to run the race with endurance. So I think verses 12 and 13 is saying pray, it's saying commit, it's saying get everything healed up and well so you can run the race with endurance. I, th I think it's also saying to us, we need to snap out of it. And a failure to snap out of it. You may have reason to be bitter. You may be able to convince everyone around you that you have reason to be bitter. To a point, right? But Jesus died on the cross for you for all your sins. There's something really more important than whatever happened to you. And you need to get on with it. I think that's what that scripture says. And a lot of people are bitter because they're in a pity party. And they're wallowing in that pity party. Look at the next one, verse 14a. Strive for peace with everyone. Very similar to Romans 12, 18. As far as it depends on you, be at peace with everyone. Strive for peace with everyone. Now, that means that even if you've been burned so many times that you just can't seem to muster enough strength and energy to face any more people. You just can't build any more relationships because the number of times you've been burned in relationships, you're, you're not going to ever get over the bitterness if you quit on people. Now, you can't be at peace with everyone. Some people you just can't deal with. It's the way it is. But don't give them the right to control you. Don't allow bitterness to control you. I mean, some people, I mean, it's just not worth that, is it? It's not worth them impacting your joy and your peace and your ability to love and engage with other people. And so be at peace with everyone that you can. And it says, and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Man, there needs to be a holy direction. Without holiness, no one sees the Lord. That's saying we don't need to allow bitterness to take away our testimony. We don't need to let bitterness get in the way of Jesus being clearly seen in us. That's what that scripture is saying right there. Set the course. And, and look at the first part of 15. Now, this is a good one. 
he says, see to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God. And then he goes into no root of bitterness. The grace of God. The answer to bitterness is the grace of God. Grace between God and you. Grace between you and others. Grace. Grace. Grace means we're not going to keep scoring longer. Grace says we're going to get over it. Grace says we're going to forgive. Grace says that we are going to allow love to cover a multitude of sins. And if you keep score for every bad thing that someone does to you, you're going to miss out on peace. You're going to miss out on lots of joy in life. And so grace has got to be there. Grace given and grace received. Look at verse 18 now. That no one is sexually immoral or unholy like Esau, who sold his birthright for a single meal. Now, he slapped God in the face when he'd been out hunting and he come in and Jacob had a bowl of bean soup. And he was hungry, impulsive, and smelled good, I reckon. And Esau said, Jacob, what you got there? And he said, I got some good soup, warm soup, especially for a fellow that's been out hunting all the time. He said, well, give me some. He said, give me your birthright. And he carelessly gave Jacob his birthright right there. Gave him his birthright. The birthright being the oldest, Esau came out first. So he's the oldest. Jacob is the younger. They're twins, but he's younger. And he gave up his birthright for Jacob to be able to be the beneficiary of all the blessings of their dad. Abraham, Isaac, and Esau was no more. Was no longer even a possibility. From that point it was the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Now, bitterness developed in Esau's life. And later on, there was a time that Esau wanted to fix that problem. He wanted to have the blessing, but it says here in verse 17, For you know that afterward, when he desired to inherit a blessing, he was rejected, for he found no chance to repent though he sought it with tears. He was emotional about it. He wanted the blessing. But what this scripture here says, that, he, that he, he found no chance to repent, that saying that he wanted the blessing without the repentance. That's a lot of people today. That's why a lot of people are bitter they want all the blessing that comes from God, but not the repentance. So bitterness, it's like a root. It can take hold in any aspect of your life, and it can take over. It is like a virus. Bitterness is contagious. Haven't you seen that? 
if there's a bitter person at work, every time they come into the uh, coffee area or the breakfast bar or whatever it is, they, in, they influence the group. And, and the person that's the most evangelistic with bitterness, they seem to be able to impact those who are most susceptible to bitterness, don't they? They're the ones talking about the wrongs more than the rights. They're the ones that can't wait to hear what someone did to someone else so they can enjoy the conflict. That's bitterness. It's like a virus. It's contagious and it spreads. Some lessons to take with this as well. It's one of the strategies of Satan. You've got to be aware of that. You've got to guard your heart with that. Understand that. Be aware of the things in your life that has caused bitterness before. Think about them. Keep them in mind. You, you know, you've been bitter before when someone else gets promoted over you. Don't let it happen again. Be on guard about that. You, you know, when it comes to your inner family, if, if you're the sibling in a family and someone else is mom and dad's favorite, happens, recognize it. And if there's favoritism that's displayed, don't let bitterness snatch you. Don't let it happen. If, if you struggle with people that seem to get ahead, right, in life, don't, don't let that bitterness jump on you again. Guard yourself from that bitterness. It's a strategy. Understand that he waits for opportunities that always come. He doesn't have to wait long for an opportunity for someone to have the root of bitterness planted in them. It happens every time we go somewhere. It probably happens every day at work. It happens every day at school. I mean, when you're around people and you're involved with people, there, it's going to happen. People say the wrong thing at the wrong time, and, and some people do it purposely, and some people just don't get it. And, and they say things without considering the consequences of what they say. Don't let that get to you. Guard yourself from that. Protect yourself that said, my relationship with Jesus and loving people is far more important than allowing that hurt to impact me. And I'm just not going to let it happen. Lessons to take with us today. Bitterness. Bitterness. It's universal. I've been bitter. You've been bitter. I have potential to be bitter. You have potential to be bitter. I got to be careful about becoming bitter. You need to be careful about becoming bitter. We all get bitter over different things, right? We all have things that if we're not careful, we'll fall victim to bitterness with that. We got to be careful with that. And, and, and this scripture says that in context of it, in verses 1 and 2, that we are to run the race to win for God. We are to, to, to be his ambassadors. We are to be his servants. We, we are to be his children in a way that honor and glorify him. And, and, and Satan is against every attempt we make to glorify God. 
and, and represent him well. And his number one weapon just might be the root of bitterness. The root of bitterness. May the Spirit speak to you today. May the Spirit show you. May it impact you deeply. And for your own benefit, I hope that if you are bitter, you will do business with the Lord. And, and you would allow His Spirit to convict you of the sin of bitterness. And that by His Spirit, you will repent of the spirit of bitterness. That you will face every negative part of you to allow bitterness to be gone so you can be free and unfettered, unburdened, and you can take the weight off so you can run your race to win, which means glorify God. Lord, help us to, to make that decision today to remove bitterness from our life. Protect us from that, that fiery dart of Satan, of bitterness, the root of bitterness. And Lord, I just I pray for each one that's here today and listening over the internet today, Lord, or this week, that Lord, your Holy Spirit will speak to them about bitterness. And Father, that we will have a cleansing. We, we will have a catharsis of understanding and your Spirit will give us all we need, all the belief, all the faith, all the will, all the surrender we need to walk free of bitterness. In Jesus' name, amen. Ushers, please come forward.